So in the second half of the 19th century, several historical and philosophical works were published in Europe, providing a completely new vision of the Renaissance. These works describe the Renaissance as a new ideal. It was described as an awakening from a state of decline and was specifically proclaimed as a cultural model, first by Jules Michelet, then by Jakob Burkhardt. This vision was received and enriched by Nietzsche. His Renaissance gave birth to a new individual liberated from superficial external norms, unconscious of his inner contradictions. In their struggle for emancipation, the members of the Jew European Jewish intelligentsia, artists and bourgeoisie, recognized this paradigm as a culturally constructed imaginary of philosophical locus. Building a place for a new humanism became their ideal and a projection of a new style of life. The text published by Abby Werberg, Bach's contemporary, and by Martin Buber developed this conception of the Renaissance as not only a new Weltanschauung, but a development of the individual not bound by tradition and convention. Art was recognized as a way to liberate and create this new human character. By the beginning of the 20th century, this perception of the Renaissance had become a kind of cultural commonplace. But Bach was not only a generally cultivated painter, but also an intellectual and a writer, nourished by his readings of Michelet, Burkhardt, and Nietzsche, all fully translated in Russia by his day. As only few artists of his time, Bakst was aware of some specific Jewish cultural problems, able to formulate them and trying to resolve them practically and theoretically. He frequented, collaborated, and corresponded with many Russian philosophers and poets. Bakst helped to found the review Apollo, which gathered the, uh, these philosophers, writers, and painters. He was the author of many theoretical articles of a novel and, um, uh, sorry, and uh, 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 of a novel and book of memoir about his travel through Greece. In this text, he expressed his uh, vision um, of the European cultural roots that he situated in archaic Greece. He suggested that the Jew, uh, Jews, uh, by the way they preserved their ancient tradition, which was contemporary of Homeric Greece, had a direct access to these ancient roots. Thanks to this, they know how to revitalize them in a new Renaissance. When in 1930, Baxter was commissioned by Jimmy and Dolly Rothschild to decorate their London house with painted panels. He was already a recognized member of Diaghilev's Ballet Russe. He was not only a decorator, he was a real creator of 
a new Hellenistic ballets, the most famous and innovative of which was the afternoon of a fawn. These ballets embodied his search for a real Jewish style in art grounded on the revival of Greek archaic art. The fact that other artists of his time used the same historical references, for instance, Bordel, doesn't reverse the fact. In the beginning of the 20th century, many Jewish artists used the European tradition, the antiquity, the Renaissance, Michelangelo or Rembrandt, because of his Jewish models, as sources for the construction of a new Jewish art that should be in the same time national and universal. At the moment of the commission, Baxter also was living a peculiar personal experience. He was expelled in 1912 from St. Petersburg because he was Jewish. Some newly discovered and published archives offer us the possibility to delve into his social and emotional life of the moment, his disarray, his feeling of lack of protection, and his call for help to aristocrats, owners of chateau. During the period when Baxt was thinking and working on, of, on his Sleeping Beauty for Rothschild from 1930 to November 1922, he staged two Sleeping Beauty ballads. In both of them, he placed the story in the atmosphere of the Grand Siècle. But for the Rothschild panels, Baxt created the real image, the ideal image of the Renaissance, a fact that was overlooked by art historians. First of all, the effect is produced thanks to the uh, uh, principle of placing very detailed, realistic, recognizable portraits of real persons, including animals, drafted from nature inside a narrative fantasy <coughs> created after Perrault's tale uh, deployed in seven panels. We know that after being commissioned by Rothschild, Bakts went to Florence to study the High Renaissance fresco. We also know from the correspondence about the Sleeping Beauty panels that he mentioned Andrea Mantegna several times. He meant, of course, the Stanza degli Sposi in Mantua that incorporates the portraits of Gonzaga family members. Maybe even more, Bach's panels remind us of Ghirlandaio frescoes in the Sassetti Chapel in Santa Trinita in Florence, described in 1901 by Werberg as the triumph of the Medici family and the new human ideal of the Renaissance. In his fourth panel, Bach used a very, uh, sorry, a very similar composition to Ghirlandaio's fresco with several characters ascending a staircase. We can also think about Benazzo Gozzoli's painting in the Palazzo Medici Ricardia. In his self-portrait uh, uh, in the first panel, Baxt is wearing the same kind of red hat as Gozzoli in the fresco, mm -hmm. representing himself as a Renaissance painter, obviously successful because so near the throne, 
was something very natural uh, for Bakst, who, as a child, was deeply impressed with Vasari's Vitae. This book became his model of the heroic life and the social elevation of the artist. The Renaissance utopia is perceptible not only in the general spirit of Bach's panels, but also in a big quantity of details, decorative as well as symbolic. First of all, Bach's use of rich fabrics leads us to the other model, hidden behind the Florentine art, the art of the Kingdom of Burgundy in the 15th century. We know that other details were borrowed by Bugst from the engravings of Stefano della Bella, like the dragon of the good fairy or her coach decorated with shells like a manierist grotto. Several hybrid symbolic details uh, function in the Bugst panels in a very quattrocento manner, juxtaposing borrowed images Christian or Jewish cultural references, as well as literary sources. In the second panel, the tapestry representing the conquest of the Golden Fleece from the dragon is placed above the wicked fairy exp expelled from the kingdom of beauty. By this symbolic detail, Baxt foretells the meaning he gave to the story of Sleeping Beauty the triumph of the hero in quest of the material treasure, gold, and the immaterial treasure, immortality. At the same time, it could refer to the very popular Théophile Gautier novel, uh, The Golden Fleece, in which a young Parisian estate went to Belgium in search of the perfect blonde beauty. He eventually found his ideal in the picture the Madeleine in the Descent from the Cross by Rubens in the Answers Cathedral. Then he met Gretchen, a perfect copy of Madeleine. The role of the princess in the Rothschild panel was given to Jimmy's sister-in-law, Noemi Hoffen, Baron Maurice de Rothschild. Her nickname was Mouton Rothschild because of her abandoned blonde hair. So the princess became the incarnation of the golden fleece, awakening. She offers Prince Charming not only her love, but also an eternal life. This allusion to Greek mythology shows us how Bach's use of the Renaissance was not only an aesthetic choice, but a main theme of the cycle. Several other details work in the same way. The image of the pelican placed in the decoration of the throne room in the third and second panels is an obvious Antigone Christian symbol of charity, but it's also a Hebraic symbol of Abraham as a father. And the two first panels develop the theme of the father threatened by the loss of his child. Peacocks drinking from the Fontaine of the eternal life uh, appear in the third panel in the attic of the castle as a promise of the future deliverance of the princess. They are placed next to the double image of the sun moon, very usual in Renaissance culture as an alchemical symbol of the search of gold. 
we find again the image of peacocks in the last uh, panel um, on the side of the prince's bed. This is the only panel in which the Jewish reference appears openly, even if very discreetly, in the prince's clothing. A quotation of the fabric of the costume for the Jewish dance in the Ballet Scheherazade. The carpet in this panel is decorated with the Chinese image of the phoenix, a symbol of the Renaissance as well as of matrimonial harmony. As for the architecture of the chateau, its exterior has a general medieval character composed from real, mostly French architecture, or from its images in Renaissance paintings and miniatures. In its interior, the most important model that we identified is from Byzantine Ravenna. In the first and the last panel, the capitals of the columns are directly borrowed by Bax from San Vitali in Ravenna. It's quite interesting that the poem of Alexander Bloch, Ravenna, that Bax knew very well, described Ravenna as an incarnation of a sleeping cultural past, reborn thanks to Dante. In his last panel, uh, Bax put these capitals from Ravenna on twisted Solomonic columns and crowned the whole composition with a medieval arched cornice. By this means, he created an architectural frame uh, 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 in which the alcove became a sacred place like a church or synagogue. This last panel of the cycle presents the image of the awakening to life as a rebirth, as a renaissance, and this is in a very uh, a religious way. We even can feel something deeply personal to Baxt in this search for the regeneration of the individual. Thank you very much. Thank you.